television series. I watched two of them last night. Is Columbo. I love. How many of y'all? How many of y'all like Columbo? Few of you. Okay. If you're not familiar with Columbo, basically the premise of the show is the first. It's usually an hour and a half long. The first half hour, you see the murder being committed. You know who did it. The next hour is spent with Columbo. You walk along with him to try to. Fi- it's it's not a who done it. It's how do you catch him. Uh, and, and you walk through that, and it's amazing to see that. And, and if you've never watched it, there's really some iconic trademarks from this series. Peter Falk plays Columbo, and he's always wearing a rumpled beige raincoat. I mean, he, he looks like he just rolled out of bed when, when you see him there. This rumpled beige, he's unassuming, he's absent-minded. Uh, you think he's a buffoon. In fact, the people that he, come up, that he comes up against, these murderers who are very highly intelligent, view him as a buffoon, and that really works in his favor because he's underestimated. And, and being underestimated can work in your favor often. He drives, uh, he's always carrying a cigar with him. He drives that 1959 Peugeot 403 convertible, which is a rattle trap. His unseen wife, you never see his wife, but he always refers to her as Mrs. Columbo, the basset hound in the car there, he's never named it. Uh, he, 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 his, his basset hound is unnamed, and he takes the basset hound to every crime scene. And if you've watched him, he has a famous catchphrase. As he's kind of bumbling around and stumbling around and looking for things, as he, as he walks out and, and leaves the prime suspect, uh, and, and, and just as he kind of gets out of the door, he'll stop and he'll turn around and he'll say, just one more thing, just one more thing. And I, I love the show. Uh, I, I, just, I just really enjoy and the intrigue, and, and uh, you've got to think through it and think with him through that. Well, our text today marks the beginning of the third and the last major section of this book. And it is Peter's Just One More Thing. Our text today is Peter's Just One More Thing. And while Columbo's One More Thing was, was usually in the form of a question, Peter's One More Thing comprises two final thoughts about suffering for Christ. The first thought is is found there in verses 12 through 14, which will be our focus today. And the first thought is this, is that suffering for being a Christian should be expected. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should expect somewhere along the line in your walk of faith, you will experience suffering. The second thought is this, and that's found in verses 15 through 19, which we'll look at, Lord willing, next time is that the one who suffers is to continue living righteously as an expression of their trust in God despite circumstances. In other words, we don't serve God just because God gives us the goodies. We just don't serve God because God makes sure that everything in our life will go just fine and, and, and we'll never, all, all the bumps in the road are going to be smoothed out. But we're going to continue to serve God even when circumstances are difficult. And and as we do that, we're demonstrating and we're living out our righteousness and we're doing so as an expression of trust, that I can trust God regardless. Uh, Some of the things that you guys mentioned this morning, you know, is an issue of can I trust God in those moments? Can I trust God to, 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 to navigate these situations, even if they don't turn out the way I would want them to? Can I trust God? Again, we're in the final section now of 1 Peter. When, when we get to chapter 5 and verse 12, it's his benediction, is his closing. But in this final section, which begins here in chapter 4 and verse 12, and goes to chapter 5 and verse 11, Peter is wanting to console these, these brothers and sisters in Christ. 
As you recall, these are a group of people who have been, who have been forcibly removed from their homes in, in Rome. They have been moved to a different country, into Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, they have lost everything. They've been separated from everything they know. They've been scattered to where people that they used to be able to gather with uh, in fellowship uh, on the Lord's Day. Uh, some of them still can, but many of them are scattered everywhere. They're, they're experiencing persecution in a lot of different ways. And so Peter is seeking, as he's closing out his letter to them, to console these believers who, despite their best efforts, nevertheless find themselves suffering because of their faith in Christ. As we've gone through this book, you know, uh, Peter's instructed us how we can go about to, uh, to, to, we're, we're to do everything that we can to, to make sure that we don't, uh, that we're not offen- offensive in the way that we treat people. Uh, our, 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 our beliefs can be offensive. Uh, the things that we hold to can be offensive. But we are to, 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 as much as within us, live at peace with all. And, and how we go about doing that, and Peter's instructed that as it relates to the culture, as it relates to uh, personal relationships, as it relates to uh, situations, in this particular case, of masters and slaves, and, and how, we, how we go about doing that. But in spite of all that, even though we are to demonstrate to the culture that, 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 that following Christ doesn't make us uh, 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 people to be afraid of, but that, that we want to do good to the culture. Uh, we want to be, a, be an asset to the culture. But, but yet, to, in spite of their best efforts to, to live out their lives in a way, they find themselves on the short end of the stick. And because of their faith in Christ, they're suffering. And Peter makes a startling claim in this passage. And the startling claim is this, that the experience of suffering should come as no surprise. Look at the text again where he says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Uh, it, it's the word exenozoi. Uh, exenozoi. And it means to surprise or astonish uh, by the strangeness or the novelty of a thing. Uh, sometimes, some translations will translate the word as shocked. Don't be shocked. And in fact, just a few verses earlier, Peter uses it in chapter 4 and verse 4, when he says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they mal- malign you. Verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. In other words, this is how you used to live, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idol- idolatry. And with respect to those things, they're shocked. They're shocked when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. You used to live this way, but you don't live this anyway anymore because you're a follower of Christ. And when they invite you to come join them, they're shocked that you don't do that anymore. They're shocked that, 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 that these are things that you no, no longer participate in. Uh, they think it's strange. Uh, they, 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 it's something that is foreign to them, that your life has changed that much. You, you've been brainwashed. Something, something strange has happened to you. So Peter uses it in chapter 4 and verse 4 to demonstrate to us the pagan culture how they view Christian behavior as something that is foreign or strange. It doesn't correspond with the, with the, with the, with the mores of the day, with the, with the, the, thing, the, the, the correctness of the day. And there, here in chapter 4 and verse 12 in our text, Peter tells his readers not to think about their persecution by the pagan culture as being something to be shocked at or something as strange. And so Peter is going to console his readers In verses 12 through 14, we're going to look at three things, how Peter seeks to console these brothers and sisters in Christ 
as it relates to the fact, though, they have sought to try to live their... In fact, they are living in a way that is godly, yet in spite of all of that, they're experiencing persecution. So when Peter's telling them, when you experience suffering because of your faith, the first thing that's found in verse 12 is, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. And the reason he's going to give is this, is that the suffering that is meant to destroy is the same suffering that demonstrates and develops character. The suffering that is meant to destroy is the same suffering that demonstrates and develops character. Again, in the text, he says, Beloved, don't be, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Now think about that. Why, why are they shocked? Uh, they're, they're trying to be good neighbors. They're, tr- they're treating people with kindness. They're treating people with the love of Christ. And in spite of that, They're treated terribly. Why are you doing this to me? Why why is your response this kind of response? They're not being belligerent in the way that they're behaving towards unbelievers. They're not being, they're not displaying arrogancy. They're genuinely reaching out to people with the love of Christ, and in that, they're being mistreated. Or or maybe the shock is because the fact that they're serving the Lord. I'm serving Christ. God, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm seeking to give you my life. I'm seeking to serve you well. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? I mean, Lord, I I know brother so-and-so. I know sister so-and-so. And I know this person. And they're living much worse than me. Why am I experiencing this kind of difficulty? Why am I going through this kind of trial? And Peter says, don't be shocked. Don't focus on why this is happening to me in in, in that kind of sense. And he tells these beloved, by the way, when he says the word there, beloved, in in chapter 4 and and, uh, verse 12, it's the same word that he uses when he starts the second section in in chapter 2 and verse 11 when he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He's, He's seeking to console them. And so he tells these beloved people not to be shocked. If you look at the text again, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. I've given you uh, there in the thing, the, the, the Greek phrase there. And, and to give that phrase a wooden translation, you would trans- translate it this way. Beloved, do not be surprised at the burning among you occurring to you for testing. Beloved, don't be surprised at the burning among you, occurring to you for testing. It's interesting what Peter does here. Peter describes their suffering as a burning among them. As a burning among them. Uh, This next phrase, uh, this next slide that that this put up here, is what I thought of immediately when I read this text. For those of you that were around during the era of Vietnam, you, you know exactly what's going on there. Napalm. Napalm. Uh, it was used to burn out the, the, uh, uh, the, the, again, the Vietnam War is a war fought in jungles, and it was, it was used to be able to get rid of all that, that, that jungle, and oftentimes it was sometimes used on villages and on people. But napalm was horrible. Horrible. 
And Peter describes their suffering as a burning among them. Just think about it. Burning describes something painful, doesn't it? You ever been burned severely? The worst I've had is a second-degree burn on the back of my, back of my uh, hand. And that thing bubbled up to be about that, that high. It's painful. But burning is also destructive, isn't it? Something like with that napalm there, it just, it, it just completely wipes everything out. Completely, I was looking at some, some videos of some stuff back from the Vietnam era, and as the napalm, the, as they're carpet bombing uh, the, the areas there, you see vehicles just, just flying through the air on fire. Just flying through the air on fire. It's destructive. It's destructive. And that's how he describes what's going on here. The burning among them. This, th- what's occurring to them is painful. What's occurring to them is, 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 is destructive. And Peter describes their suffering as a burning among them. And, and, and the burning among them, as he does that, he does not, uh, he does not deny the intensity of the suffering. By, by, by doing that, he's not denying the intensity of the stuff, suffering, but Peter consoles them by reminding them that God has a purpose in it. That God has a purpose in it. The burning among them, again, at the burning among you, occurring to you for testing. For testing. He's not denying the intensity of it. He, he's not denying the pain of it. He's not denying the difficulty of it. And, and he, he's, be, he's being truthful about it. But what he wants, how he wants to console them is, is the fact that what people are intending to use against them as believers to destroy them, to hurt them, to make life difficult to them, what, God, what Peter says is that it's burning among them is occurring to them for testing. For testing. Peter is reminding them of something he wrote earlier. Of something he wrote earlier. The word that's translated there in the text when it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. The word there for, 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 for trial uh, and the idea of testing, again, the idea of trial there, it's the word parasmos. Parasmos. It's, it's used in the book of James. When, 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 the, when the book of James writes and he says, he tells us that, that uh, we're to count it all joy when we fall into different kinds of trials, different kinds of testings. And parasmos can be trials or testings that are either bad or they can be good depending upon it. But Peter has used this word parasmos before. Keep your place there in chapter 4 and go back to chapter 1 and verse 6 where Peter writes, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Parasmas. Various trials. And then look at verse 7. He says, so that. A purpose clause. Here's the reason. Here's what God is doing. You're grieved by what's happening to you. It's difficult. It's hard. He's not downplaying what they're going through. But he says, but, but, there, but God has a purpose in this. God can take what people are meaning for evil against you and use it for good. And here's the purpose clause. So that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I went back to my notes when we, when we, uh, when we went through this uh, almost a year ago. 
And if you recall, verse 7, testing demonstrates, from verse 7, testing demonstrates and it develops the purity of our faith, the purity of our character. We see the principle that trials test my claim regarding my, test, regarding my state of trust in Christ, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. This is, this is where I believe I'm at in my walk with Christ. This is where I believe, this is where I think uh, my, my progress in my walk with Christ is. And then God allows trials into our lives to help us to genuinely see where we are is where we think we are. That, that we, we are where we think we are. And, and he talks about that the trials test my claim regarding my state of trust. In God. The process, he goes on to say, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You you know, you you put gold in a fire and it draws out the impurities. It it separates the the gold from the dross. And and we see that testing by fiery trials reveals faith's identity and purifies its quality. And then the latter part, you, you see the product of it, where he says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that this perseverance in present testing by trial, here's the result. If we persevere, it results in future commendation and and, and recognition from Christ Himself. That when Christ's glory is revealed, we share in that glory. So Peter's reminding them, by using this word, Peter's reminding them about some things he's told them earlier in this book. That, that, that God has a purpose in it. It, it. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. And while they are intending to do something evil, something to destroy you, the suffering that is meant to destroy is the same suffering that God is going to use to demonstrate and to develop character and Christ-likeness in your life. So Peter says, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked at the burning among you. God's allowing it. God's allowing it to occur to you. God's not forsaken you. God's not angry with you. God's God's not forgotten about you. God is walking with you through that suffering, with you through that difficulty. And while the pain is still there and the intensity still exists, God has a purpose for it too. What what they mean to destroy you with, God is going to use it in your life and develop Christ-like qualities in your life. So don't be shocked at the burning among you. God is allowing it to test, demonstrate, and develop your character and faith. So don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. In the next verse, verse 13 Paul consoles his readers by informing them that when they experience suffering because of their faith, and he tells us something that just seems counterintuitive to to logic. He tells us to rejoice. Rejoice. Look at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. He tells us to rejoice because suffering identifies us, suffering identified them with Christ, and it determines their degree of glory. This is the second reason why believers should, should not think uh, that their current ordeal is strange. 
It's the second reason why we should believe when we, when we face persecution, why we shouldn't be shocked. Because they did it to Christ. <laughs> they, they did it to Christ. He says, there again, in the text he says, uh, you share in Christ's sufferings. You share in Christ's sufferings. In other words, what has happened to Jesus Christ has happened to them. As followers of Jesus Christ, what's happened to Christ happens to us. Look at the text again. And, and you can circle. It says, but, in so much, in so, but rejoice insofar as you share. Circle that word share. We hear it all the time in the Greek. Koinonia. I mean, we like that word, don't we? Let's have koinonia. We know it means fellowship. Fellowship to share. We're gonna, in fact, there's even, you go to drive down 360, there's a church south of 20, 360. It's Koinonia Church. And, and we like the idea of fellowship, don't we? The idea of sharing and being involved with one another. The idea means to share, to become a partner in. But here, he says, the text, Peter says, he says, but rejoice insofar as you koinonia, as you share, as you partner with Christ in His sufferings. Now, that's necessarily the kind of fellowship we don't really care for that much, isn't it? I mean, I like the fellowship where we have the agape feast, you know, and have the meal and sit around and talk and, you know, maybe play games and do some things like that. But to have fellowship and suffering, let's move on. Let's move on. But in what sufferings of Christ do we share in? What, what, what are the sufferings that Peter is talking about here? And when you look at, when you go, we don't have time to do it, but if you, were, if you were to make your way back through this book, in every chapter of this book, when Peter refers to Jesus' sufferings, he is referencing his suffering during his life on earth, especially his death on the cross. So how do we share in that? Well, Scripture tells us we're to take up our cross daily and follow Him. Taking up your cross was to say you're a dead man walking. You're a dead man walking. And so I'm not denying myself. I, I'm, denying, I, I'm not denying things for myself. I'm, de, I'm denying me. I've laid my life down. I'm a dead man walking. I, I, what, what Christ wants in my life is what I want in my life. But it's also an explanation of what it means to... Why, why did Christ suffer? He suffered because He chose to walk in obedience to the Father. And His obedience to the Father just rankled, especially the religious crowd. His obedience to the Father, His willingness to walk in obedience, His willingness to, to reach out to the downtrodden, to reach out to the poor, to, to love people, to walk in obedience, to, to identify hypocrisy and to denounce it, to, to, to follow the Lord how He's truly to be followed, to, to recognize what Scripture really teaches, to, 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 to His whole life of spending, of, uh, of loving and caring for people, and of, and of holiness, and calling people to holiness, and to righteousness, and, and to obedience to the law. And that's the same thing that Scripture talks to us about as it relates to, to, to how we are to suffer, where we are to suffer. And that's what our sufferings look like. We share in Christ's sufferings as believers. Uh, we, we share with Christ's sufferings as we choose to walk in obedience to God. And that obedience costs us. That obedience causes us maybe 
puts a little wrinkle in people's lives. Not, not being arrogant, not being, not being obnoxious, but the fact that we're going to walk in obedience to Christ. We're going to follow Him. We're going to obey the Scriptures. And when we do that, we're going to experience suffering. As believers suffer because of their identification with Christ, they enter into the experience of Christ's own sufferings. As, as believers suffer because of their identification with Christ, again, and that's the key, my identification with Christ. We suffer because as long as we'll set Him aside, and as long as we'll set aside what He says, how we're supposed to walk, as long as we'll set aside His commandments, as long as we'll set aside His desires, we'll be welcomed with open arms. But the minute Christ's Lordship is declared and lived, then that's the problem. That's the problem. So as believers suffer because of their identification with Christ, they enter into the experience of Christ's own sufferings. But why in the world should we rejoice at that? Hot diggity dog, Monday morning when I go to work, I get to suffer. Amen! Hot diggity dog. Man, I can't wait for Sunday to get over so I can suffer for Jesus, bless God. You know? Why rejoice? Why rejoice? Well, look at the text again. He says, but rejoice. And here's the key word. In so far. It's the Greek word katho. It means in the degree. In the degree or to the degree. And here's the point that Peter's making. Here's why we rejoice. To the degree that you and I share in His sufferings is the degree in which you and I will share in His glory. That's why we rejoice. I'm not rejoicing because I'm hurting. I'm not rejoicing because it's painful. I'm not rejoicing because it's difficult. I'm rejoicing because to the degree in which I identify with the sufferings Christ is to the degree in which I will get to identify in His exaltation of glory. In fact, that's exactly Peter's hope. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1 when we get there in a couple weeks. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, speaking to the elders of the church, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now let's stop there. Because we see the word witness, and the first thing we think of is somebody that's what? Watched it, right? That's what a witness A witness is somebody who's seen what's happened. It, it, it's the word we get our word martyr from. Uh, sometimes this word is translated martyr. And the idea of this word witness is not just somebody who has seen it happen. It's also somebody who's experienced it. I, 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 I've witnessed it. And, 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 and in other words, we talk, when we, sometimes we'll talk about witnessing. And, and that idea is, is we're telling people, well, if I witness to somebody, I'm telling somebody what's happening. I'm not just telling them about Christ, but I'm telling them what Christ has done for me. I'm a witness. 
Let me show you what Christ has done for me. Let my life be a witness to you of what Christ has done. And that's the way in which Peter is using this word here. He's not saying, hey, I just saw Jesus hang on the cross. Because, quite frankly, if, if he wasn't there. Huh. Remember? It was, it, was just, just, it, just, it was just very few. John and a couple women. That's it. That's it. But Peter's not saying that he saw it. Though he did witness part of the sufferings of Christ, Peter is saying, I've experienced it. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and look, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter says, I've suffered. And the degree in which I've suffered, if I'm a partaker of His sufferings, I'm also a partaker of His glory. And that's why we can rejoice. What, what, is being, what is being thrown at us to destroy us, what is being thrown out to hurt us, what is being thrown out to, to uh, discourage us, is the very thing that God can use to develop our Christ-likeness And as we walk through it, we can rejoice, not because of the pain, not because of the difficulty, but when we are suffering for the sake of Christ, when we are suffering for our faith, when we are suffering because we are holding true to what Scripture teaches, to the same degree of our suffering, we will experience the same degree of exaltation. And I can rejoice in that. It's hard now, but there's glory later. Suffering now. And again, that's been, that's been the whole theme of this, of this, of this text. Stand, suffering in glory. Stand firm in God's grace. Suffering now leads to glory. It leads to glory. When experiencing suffering because of your faith, you can rejoice because of the degree in which you partner in Christ's suffering determines the degree in which you will partner in His glory. So, don't be shocked. Rejoice. And then finally, Peter consoles his readers by informing them that when they experience suffering because of their faith, they are to rest. Now, that's just as weird as the rejoice part. I'm suffering and you want me to rest? (laughs) You want me to rest? But what we're going to see in verse 14 is this, that the suffering that is thought to be a sign of rejection in reality reveals the reputation of God. There's three key words in verse 14. Let's look at verse 14. If you are insulted, that's the first key word. For the name of Christ, you are blessed. That's the second key word. 